Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. If you are with us from week to week, you'll know that we are in the book of Genesis, and we are studying Genesis 25 this morning. And as we go through uh, the book, we, we've seen last week just God's providence, how, how he's just over every detail. And we've seen that last week, even in the, the little things of life, and, and sometimes in the big things of life, like choosing wife, for example. Uh, he is he's overseeing those things. And then we've seen the other side of that. What's our human responsibility in that. That was kind of what we looked at last Sunday. And now this Sunday, a common, a similar theme. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, regards to salvation. What is our part and what is God's part? And, and as we study the text, we're going to see like all glory to God. It is by his grace that we are saved. Grace is undeserved favor. There's not one person here who deserves salvation. Now, when I say that, I I also acknowledge the fact that in our culture, that may rub you the wrong way, right? We kind of live in an entitled kind of society, right? Like, whether I'm qualified or not, I should have got that promotion. You know, I sat in this desk longer than anyone else has sat in this desk in this office. I deserve the promotion, I mean, even though you come in late all the time and your work isn't great, I still deserve it, right? Uh, Students, like I deserve an A on my paper. I mean, even though I did it from 1 a.m. to 3 p.m. the night before, I still deserve an A, right? I I got the paper in. Why are you not giving me an A? We have this, this idea of entitlement, right? And I think that sometimes that carries over into our spiritual lives as well. There, there are a lot of people, if you were to ask them this morning, they would say, yeah, I'm going to heaven, if there is such a place, right? They haven't really thought a whole lot about it. They're walking in rebellion against God, and yet they think <clears throat> they will spend eternity with God. Uh, how does that work? Well, what, what, what happens, sorry, is that <clears throat> when, we, when we think that way, what we're doing is we're taking God off the throne and putting him down at our level, and we're putting ourselves up on the throne. That's what entitlement does in our thinking. It twists the scripture. It twists what God's word says. There, there really is, you know, this mentality out there. As long as I'm a better person than Stalin or Hitler, I deserve heaven, right? There's a lot of people who think that. Well, I'm basically a good person. No, nobody basically is a good person here. The scripture tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that what we deserve is condemnation. What we deserve is to pay for our sins for the rest of eternity. Thank you, brother. But God's grace saves. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And before we do, let me just pray for us one more time before we look into God's word. Lord God, we do thank you for your grace, for your mercy towards us. God, I pray as we look at this passage this morning that we would embrace what your truth says. Some of the things that we're going to be looking at this morning are hard to understand. 
Some of the things that we'll talk about today are, are maybe foreign to what we believe or have thought previous, but God, I'm praying that your word would have its way in our lives. God, we want to fully submit to your word uh, in our lives. And so if there are some things that we maybe are having difficulty understanding, God, would you help us to discontinue to lean in and trust your Holy Spirit to help us in those areas? And I pray, Lord, by the time we leave here, we would all better understand grace and that, Lord, we would worship you accordingly. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Genesis 25. And apparently there was a Bible rapture over the week. And so there was like one Bible available. Froggy. Okay. Hopefully that's gone now. Um, So you're going to have to lean in and look at someone else's Bible. But I want you to to look at the scriptures together this morning. As we always say here, I have nothing for you. But we do believe that the word of God has something for us. And so look at Genesis 25 with me. And as we do, we're going to see three ways God's grace is shown to us. Three ways God's grace is shown to us. First, it is through creating grace. Now, God created you. We're going to see this in the first 21 verses. If you've been with us for our study of Genesis, you'll know that, that every single life owes its existence to a creator, to the Lord God. And, and I would want you to know that this morning because when we do not know that, when we do not believe that, then the value of life goes down. We see so many people in this world who, who just do not understand the value of a life. We're, we're seeing images over the weekend, once again, of just atrocities and hatred and, and, and all that goes with that. But God has created every single one of you here this morning. Whether you acknowledge that or not is between you and the Lord. But I would want you to know that you have been knit together by an awesome creator and that he, has, he doesn't make junk. He has made you special and he has a purpose for you. And I would challenge you, if you do not know him this morning, that you would look to him and know who he is. I love our ladies this morning. I mean, they just knocked it out of their park in their testimonies. They gave glory to, the God of, uh, to God and what he has done in their lives. And they were walking this way, but then God opened their eyes, and now they're walking this way. They're following after him. And I pray that if you do not know him this morning, even by the time we're done here, that would be your story as well. How is that possible? Well, we know a God of grace. So let's look at this creating grace. Verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Katara. She bore him Zimran, Joshkan, Medan, Median, Ishbak, and Shua. Maybe you're having a child soon. Lots of good names here. Joshkan fathered Sheba and Dedan. Do not ask me how you actually say these words. Uh, the sons of Dedan were Ashram. Letishim and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Henek, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Katara. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, just as 
God had prophesied to Abraham. He is becoming the father of all nations, of many nations. Genesis 17, 4, it says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, sometimes we, we look at these genealogies and are like, okay, flip, right? But, but, but these genealogies show us that God is sovereign. He's over all peoples. It's not just the people who call upon him. He's over all peoples. And, and what's interesting about these names is that they show up again later in Isaiah 60. And as you look at Isaiah 60, it's talking about the, the glory of the Lord coming upon the earth. And as you get to verse 6, you hear that there's going to be these, there's, there's three of these names mentioned. And they're going to come from the east. And they're going to bring gold and frankincense. Matthew 2:11. So these who are now being sent away, God is going to use those people at one point to bring worship to him. I love that. I love that. Now, what we've been seeing as we've been going through the book of Genesis is that any time that the people, of, the people are moving east, eastward, it means away from the presence of God. And so these are being sent away from the promises of God, and knowing that the promises of God are going to come through Isaac. And in the same way that Ishmael had been sent away so that he was not a threat to those promises coming true, so it is now with these sons, they are sent away. And he takes care of him in the same way as Ishmael. He sends gifts with them. And then he does all this before he passes away. But then he does die. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. I mean, you just get tired just thinking about that. Right? Now, life obviously was a little different back then. And, and there's probably a lot of things we could talk about with that. But we, for the sake of time this morning, we just want to recognize a couple of things about his life. Uh, number one, Abraham was not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. Last week, when he's around 140, he's like, hey, I'm about to go, right? I'm about to die. And so, hey, find a, uh, find a girl for my son. Find a wife for my son. And so they'd done that 35 years earlier. But he still had 35 more years on this earth. He has all these other sons. And then it says that he breathed his last. Verse, five, verse 8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. He followed the Lord for 100 years. He had been called uh, by the Lord at the age of 75, and he'd followed him all those years. And then he, he dies a happy life. That's how we would put it today. He, he died, he died in, in a good state. Hamilton puts it like this. This obituary notice about Abraham draws attention to the fact that Abraham died not only at an elderly age, but in a frame of mind filled with inner shalom and satisfaction. That is the thrust of the phrase, full of days or contented. God blessed Abraham. With a full life and a blessed life. And as we had went through it, we've seen his life no different than yours and mine. Ups and downs. As he followed the Lord, sometimes he didn't do so well. And sometimes he did really well. But he was a child of God. Someone who followed after him in faith. So as we close the chapter on, on, on uh, Abraham, 
Moses wants to just kind of wrap up the picture with Ishmael as well. So first they bury Abraham, verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Now, again, a couple of chapters ago, we've seen at the death of Sarah, there's like, okay, well, where am I going to bury her? Normally, you would go back home to where you were from, but he knows that God has promised them this land. And so he, he barters for this land. He gets this land. And now 38 years later, he too now is buried with his wife, Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahoy Roy. Now, it, it doesn't seem, as we're going to read, it doesn't seem like the blessing actually goes with Isaac, but it goes with Ishmael because of the outward circumstances. So it's significant that he puts this here because he wants us to know, no, God is blessing him, but his path is going to be different than Ishmael's, which is a reminder to you and I that we can't always go by our circumstances as to whether or not God is blessing us. Blessing comes in different forms. But now we first read about Ishmael. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's sons, son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael. And these are the names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. What's significant about this? This is again exactly what God said would happen. Genesis 17 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. And again, just that idea that he would always be at war. He's always going to be in a battle, this people group. And of course, we're being reminded of that even again this last weekend. So on the surface, it seems like Ishmael is the blessed, right? Isaac, we're going to read in just a moment, no kids. Ishmael, 12 kids. You look at the circumstances, you're like, okay, yeah, obviously Ishmael is the blessed one. The promises obviously are going through him. But that's not how God works. And it's super important that you and I do not base our faith on our circumstances, but rather we base our faith on on the word of God. And we're going to see Isaac doing this in an exemplary way. But let me just, you know, take a step back and say, okay, what does that look like on a daily basis? Well, if you get a raise on Monday, you're like, oh, God loves me. So great, you know, praise the Lord. And, and you ought to praise him. All good gifts are from him. But if two months later you get fired it doesn't mean now that God hates you, right? 
What does the scriptures tell us? The scriptures tell us that God's love is steadfast. It tells us in Romans chapter 8 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, no one can separate you from his love. And God loves you right now as much as he will ever love you. His love is consistent. It will not change. And so our circumstances will change, but God's love does not change. And so as we go through our day to day, we need to, in faith, believe God loves me. I may not understand why he loves me some days, but I believe by faith he does. So, by faith, Isaac must live. Verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. He was around 40 years old when this took place. We seen last week, if you weren't with us, that it was clear that God had brought this woman to be Isaac's wife. The scriptures make it super clear, which is important when we consider what is to follow. It says in verse 21, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was Barren. As we as we kind of continue to read on, we're going to find out this wasn't like a six month problem. This wasn't like a six year problem. This was twenty years that she was barren. Twenty years. You know, like the first. You know, have the honeymoon. Pretty excited. Oh, no babies. Okay, no big deal. No, no, still no. Like month, two months, three months, four months. You know, it, I don't know at what point they're be like, wait a minute, something's, something's not right here. And, and Isaac must have been like, um, wait a minute. Like, we, it seems like we have mom and dad's problem. Like, they waited 25 years before Isaac was born. And, and so Isaac has a choice right now. Will he follow in the footsteps of his father? Well, we're going to see some of the things he does, the same as dad. But thankfully, in this particular case, he does not follow in the footsteps of of his father, but instead, he prays to the Lord. He understands that God alone is the author of life. God made a promise that through him, there would be many descendants. You guys remember the song? You're probably singing it all this last week from Genesis 24, 60, all right? The song that was sung over Rebecca as she left. Well, the song was this. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Like, not just a couple of kids, but we're playing like thousands upon thousands for your descendants. Like, that's our prayer for you as you leave. So they have all this expectation that this is going to happen, but it hasn't happened. And it requires faith to trust in the promises of God. And I believe this is what God is doing. He's increasing their faith. They walk in faithfulness. They, they place their trust in him. And I, I love what Hughes says here. God was teaching his people that the promised blessing through the chosen seed of Abraham could not be accomplished by mere human effort. He is reminding them that he alone is the author of life. And it's super important that you and I recognize that this morning. And so after 20 years of praying, uh, the word for praying here 
It's the same word that is used of Moses as he prays that the plagues would be removed when he's in Egypt. It's it's, it's an intense prayer. It is a crying out to God. And in this case, he is intensely praying that God would remove the barrenness of his wife and give them a child. And we read that that's exactly what happened. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Like, if you're just kind of reading that, like, he, he prayed, they had a kid. Praise the Lord. We, we forget, there's like, no, there's 20 years of waiting on the Lord. But God is faithful, and he gives them life. And as I've already said here this morning, I want you to understand that every single person here can owe their lives to the creator God. You know, we have, we have a lot of kiddos in this church. And, 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 and sometimes we're like, oh, you're coming to redemption. Going to have a baby. You know, it's just kind of like it's in the water. We kind of, we, we joke. But some, I think sometimes in our joking, it, it's, it's disrespectful to the Lord. Because he alone is the author of life. It has nothing to do with the water at redemption. It has everything to do with the fact that he is a God who gives good gifts. <clears throat> Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Isn't that a great reminder? Like maybe you need that reminder, parents, after this morning. You're like, a gift? I don't know about a gift. <laughs> like, where do I hit return, you know? But, but it, it is a, it's a good gift. Isn't it great that you could be in here to hear that, kiddos? Um, <clears throat> we're going to go after moms and dads in just a moment. Um, but but, but every, every child is a gift from the Lord. And, and you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust that that is many, if not most of us here this morning, we need to have a high value on life. Why? Because there is no life that is deserved. It has only come about as a result of God's creating grace. And so every life should be honored. Even those who you really, really have a difficult time with, you should pray for because they have been created by the Lord God. All right, let's continue on. Three ways God's grace is shown to you. Second is electing grace. This is the difficult one that I was talking about earlier. Electing grace. God chose you. God chose you. If you are in Christ today, the Bible teaches that you have been chosen by God. Anybody heard that before? Now, if you're like me, 10 years in the ministry, I had not heard that. And when I first heard it, it was like, what? What are you talking about? Remember that? Was that different strokes? You know, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, it, was, it, was, it was that kind of, it was one of those reactions, you know. And everybody's like, what is that show? And now I'm distracted. <laughs> but it was a real, like, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. But, but. Can I just say before we get into this this morning, what we, what we can't do as believers is take out our Sharpie and go like this on certain verses we don't understand. So let's embrace all of God's word. And if, if it takes you a year or two years or five years or whatever to wrestle through this, praise the Lord. Just, but don't, don't 
negate what God's word actually says. And so this is, you're like, okay, well, what's it going to say? Okay, well, here we go. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she sent to inquire of the Lord. So, so like, finally, 20 years later, she gets to have a baby, right? She's pregnant, and, 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 and it's like, oh, what, what in the world is going on? Right? What is going on? It's not, it's not just like, oh, I felt the baby kick. Okay? What's going on here, <laughs> the Hebrew says it like this, that children smashed themselves within her. Okay? Like, like, I don't know if you could see what was going on un- under her, you know, schmuck or whatever. You know, it was like going on. But she's like, what's going on? Like, wh- what am I having? <laughs> right? So, so what does she do? She does the right thing. She inquires of the Lord. Lord, what's going on here? Is, she probably is praying because she's like, is, is this kid going to live? Like, am I going to make it out alive in this thing? Like, what is happening here? And so the Lord answers her and she says, he says, hey, guess what? Twins. You're having twins. And the Lord said here, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Like nobody here can say that's their story, right? I'm going to have two nations coming from my womb, okay? Like this was a, this was a significant thing, right? Like these two were going to be powerful, and, 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 but they're going to be divided. They're going to be against one another. And what would be surprising to a normal order is that the younger will be the one who's on top. That the older will serve the younger. This is what God's, God prophesies before they're ever born. He says this is what's going to happen. Griffin Thomas, or Griffith Thomas says this, the order of nature is not necessarily the order of grace. And so in God's grace and his wisdom, he decides this is the way it will be. So these kids are wrestling in the womb and they continue on right through the delivery. We see this in verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Just as the Lord had said, the first came out all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Like you got to know that Isaac and Rebekah still thought, oh, isn't he cute? Like, isn't that what parents do, right? And then maybe like a month later, you look at your baby pictures like, okay, he wasn't really cute. You know, it's like... But we love them, you know. It's like something that God does, you know what I mean? He just gives you this automatic love for him. Now, what's interesting about his name is that Esau, it captures the sound in the description Harry. Not like H-A-R-R-Y, but like H-A-I-R-Y, right? Harry, right? That's, you know, so, hey, Harry, <laughs> right? He, Esau, Harry, and then, and then, the, the name that they become, the people group, Edomites, means red. So he's got this redhead, hairy kid coming up. And what's interesting is that guess where they settle as a people group later? In a place with red soil. And so they are known as the Edomites. So it would have been interesting for the people that, that originally heard this, Moses' crew, when they first read this, they were like, oh yeah, we know the Edomites. That's interesting, right? That, that, that the whole thing, red thing, has been traced right through from birth. And then, the other kid, Jacob, he's holding on to his heel, right? Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Okay? I mean, what a picture that. I mean, you know, imagine doing that delivery, right? And this kid is holding on to the heel of his brother as they're being delivered. And guess what his name means? Well, it has a whole lot to do with heel. Ross, the name probably means may God, may God protect, referring to the protection of a rear guard, someone who follows at the heels to protect. But as with Esau, Jacob's name would take on a different connotation later in his life as his deceptive nature became clearer. Because he tripped up his brother twice, his name would have the sense of heel grabber or deceiver. And that's exactly what we see of Jacob as he lives out his life. He has this lying issue. He has this deception issue in his life. He trips up those around him. But all of these things were known about these kids before they were born. Before they were born. And these, these, these events that happen at the birth foreshadow this, this continual wrestling that's going to happen between the two throughout the generations to come. Now, I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 9 because it gives a commentary on what we've just read. Romans chapter 9, 10 to 13. To set up the context, in Romans 9, uh, 1 through 9, the Jews are saying, like, listen... If you are born of Abraham, then you're a child of God. It's just like, it's your natural right. If you're born of Abraham, you're a child of God. And, and, and Paul's like, well, wait a minute. Guess who else was born of Abraham? Ishmael. He was not chosen of God. Instead, it was Isaac. To which they would probably reply, well, of course. I mean, that was with Hagar. It wasn't with Sarah. It was a different wife. And so now his illustration is, okay, you want to see that God chooses? Let me show you this. Same mom, same dad, same womb. One is chosen, the other is not. Verse 10 of Romans 9. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, we're not going to take a whole lot of time to cover that last verse, but I would just say it's, not, it's, it's a preference. God, God prefers, he chooses one rather than this, 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 hate, this literal hate. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. You can ask me more about that later if you like. Now, when we think about the choosing, I, I think it's super important that we all understand that all 8 billion people who are born upon this earth in these days, they are all walking on a path to hell. Every single one of us. Romans 3.10, there is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's, that's our reality, every single person's reality. But what we read here in the scriptures is that God chooses some out of that pathway. In his electing grace, in his love, he chooses some to not go down that pathway. Now again, this, this is a hard doctrine, I understand that. 
I was talking with someone between services about it. Like, oh, I don't understand. I'm like, I get it. I understand. But again, I would just press in. We can't just go, well, I don't really like these verses. The verses are here. And so now we have to wrestle, well, what, what does it mean? Well, what, what, what did he base his decision on? Sometimes people want to look and say, hey, he looked all through history and said, oh, Jordan, he's going to choose me. I choose him. That's how it works. But the scripture says that's not the case. Though they were not yet born and done nothing, neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Paul is making very clear that it has nothing to do with works. It has nothing to do with what you and I do. In fact, Paul states that long before any actions have been done, God chose. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before there was even a a creation, God has chosen you. That's Ephesians chapter 1. So what? So that God's purpose of election might continue. He explains that purpose of election is established by him who calls and not based on works. Stott says this, what God's purpose in election means is clear beyond doubt. It is that God's choice of Isaac, not Ishmael, and of Jacob, not Esau, does not originate in them or in any works that they may have done, but in the mind of him who calls. Undeserved favor. It's God's choice. It was God's will that Jacob be the, would be the one through whom the covenant promises would go to. It was his will alone that impacted the decision and not works or any other human factors. As you're going to go through the story about Jacob, there's no one here who's like, oh yeah, I could tell he was going to choose him. Like he's an amazing guy. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. That's, that's his character. And left to himself, he never would have been a child of the promise. He never would have found God on his own. But God chose him. And as we're going to go by chapter and chapter, we're going to see that. Moose says this, Isaac was chosen, Ishmael was not. Jacob was chosen, Esau was not. By these choices, God has seen to it that his plan to bring into existence a people who would be his peculiar possession would remain. If God's plan depended on the vagaries of sinful human beings for its continuance, then indeed God's word would have fallen to the ground a long time ago. But God's purpose in history is fulfilled because he himself selects people to be a part of that purpose. Listen, if it's up to you and I, this is what Mu is saying, if it's up to you and I, it all crashes a long, long time ago. But he is the one who is powerful and he is the one who saves. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. God is the one who chooses who the children of God will be. He chose Isaac. He had chosen Abraham. He chose Jacob. And I pray this morning you could say, and he chose me. He chose me. I don't know why he did it, but praise God he did. Like that should be the response of you understanding this doctrine. It should be not be like, <laughs> of course he chose me. I mean, I'm God's gift to the church. I mean, it's obvious, right? Like, it's so ironic that, that people who, uh, who understand this doctrine well, they, they oftentimes come off as the most arrogant people of all. When it, it ought to be not that whatsoever. It should be like, we're on our faces before the Lord. Like, uh, I know me. <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen me. 
but you chose me. And I love you, God. And I want to serve you for the rest of my life. This should be our reaction to this difficult doctrine. Spurgeon says this, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for the reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked on me with special love. Like, is this a beautiful thing? God has chosen you. This is God's electing grace. We've heard of two testimonies this morning of God's electing grace. Like, as you hear those testimonies, it wasn't like the girls were like, you know, wow, so I got it all figured out, and now I'm following the Lord. It's just like, no, God just, just he went after them and got them. Right? Like, that's the story, right? It's not what you hear. It's like, I'm going this way, and all of a sudden, it's just boom. Right? They cry out to God. God saves them. And that's his last grace we see here. God's redeeming grace. God saves you. Redeeming grace. God saves you. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. We go straight from birth to manhood. A man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. If we think about these lads in our today vernacular, we got a blue-collar guy and we got a white-collar guy. Right? The blue-collar guy, he's the man of the field. He's got the membership of Bass Pro, right? He's got all the best guns and, you know, bows and what, fishing rods. I mean, this is that guy, right? Takes a shower once a week whether he needs to or not, right? Harry, Harry the Red, right? That's, that's what his buddies called him. And, um, and then you got Jacob. And, and, and he's like, well, he's not, he's not Esau. He's a quiet man, dwelling in tents, uh, okay, what does that mean? That's, that's what I want to know. He's like, is he playing the Xbox and back home? Like, what's going on here? Well, Kidner gives us a helpful definition that the, to, to be quiet is to be level-headed. It was a quality that made Jacob at his best toughly dependable and at his worst a formidably cool opponent. Jacob was civilized, conventional, conventional and controlled. Esau's like, ah, you know, like, ah, you know, that kind of guy. Like, he's just controlled by his emotions, by his desires. Jacob, cool, calculated, sometimes not in a good way, as we're about to see. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebe- Rebecca loved Jacob. Eh, parenting fail, okay? This isn't good. Like, moms and dads, you don't get together like, which kids are you going to love? I don't know, who, get, who gets this one? I don't know, you know, let's just draw straws. Like, that's not how it works, right? Isn't that good, kids, right? Mom and dad love you equally. That's what good parenting is, right? Every child is to be loved equally by mom and dad. But what we got going on here, Isaac, why does he love him? Because he brings in the stakes, right? That's conditional love. That's not great. That's not good. Right? So do not be taking parenting tips from these guys. We're just like, this is just what happens. Okay? Rebecca, she loves Jacob. Her, at least, is a little more understandable. She, she prefers him because it says that God prefers him. He was chosen. And so we see there's this protective side of Rebecca. We're going to see it in chapters to come where she's like, I've got to make sure that God's promises to him are fulfilled. Still, though, she should have loved 
Esau as well. Okay, so she's not out of the woods on that either. So we continue on. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. All right, uh, wasn't a great day apparently out in the fields. This skilled hunter, he comes home exhausted. Other translations say starving. Okay, famished. He comes home this way, and Jacob just happens to be doing a little cooking. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. All right, so he's like, hey, can I have some of the red red, right? Can I have some of that? I am famished. I am starving. Kids, have you ever said that? I am starving. Right? I'm so hungry. Dads, you ever say that? Okay? Right? Are they really starving? No, they, they didn't live a long time past that day. Right? That's what's going on here. He's not really starving. He just really, really wants to fulfill his desire to put some food in his gullet. That's, that's what's going on here. So Jacob sees an opportunity. He says, yeah, sell me your birthright now. <laughs> He's like, zoop. Like, where did, how did that happen? Right? That's zero to 100. Right? He just goes right for it. Escalated it to like, oh yeah, sure, I'll give you some stew here. Just sell me your birthright. He's taking advantage of his brother's impetuousness. And so Esau says, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Okay, where's the focus on the next five minutes? That's all he cares about. Just the next five minutes. I don't care about something so far in the distance. Why would I care about that thing? I only care about right now. And a lot of people live their lives that way. They only care about fulfilling their desires they have right now. I want to have fun. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to think about death or eternity or anything like that. Maybe on the last week when I'm alive, I'll consider those things to kind of figure out an exit plan, but I'm going to live for myself. Esau is representative of all kinds of people that way, living for the now. Young people, that, that's, that can be your pathway. There's so many that, that think that, oh yeah, 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 we, I did the church thing with mom and dad, but I'm going to just kind of put that on the side and I want to do what I want to do. I love my sin. I love my sin. I want my desires to be fulfilled. I want my passions to be fulfilled. And you got a world that's like, go for it. Keep doing it. It's your identity. Don't let anybody tell you not to fulfill your sins. Keep going. Right? Like, and so like, oh, okay. Yeah. Look at, every, look at the crowd behind me. They're cheering me on. I'm going to go that way. That's the Esau's of the world. He's like, whatever. What's a birthright to me? Like later on, he's going to consider it. We're going to see that in just a moment. But right now, he's like, who cares? Jacob, on the other hand, who does he represent? All the religious people of the world trying to manipulate his way into God's favor. I mean, he's been given the promises of God that he will. I'm sure Rebecca said, hey, just so you know, uh, when you guys were in the womb, this is what happened. Uh, God's going to give you the promises. So he knows the promises are going to come to him. But instead of being like Abraham, he figures he's got to make it work. Make it work. He's going to manipulate the situation to make it work for him. Abraham, he's got, he's got his nephew Lot with him. He's like, hey, 
we got a fight going on here between our herdsmen. Like, you just go to whatever land you want. You take whatever you want. He's like, oh, I'll take the best. So he goes. And then what happens after that? God's like, I'm giving it all to you. But this isn't, this isn't Jacob. Jacob's like, I got I to gotta work my way in. I got I to gotta manipulate my situation. And, and so many people are religious in this world thinking that if I just don't check off all the boxes, then I'll get life to come. And even in this life, God will bless me. I just got to, you know, do what he says. You know, Bob told me he went to church for a while and his parenting was just so much better. My kids are brats. I want better parenting. I guess I'll go to church. Right? And, you know, hopefully it works out for my parenting. But there's no, like, giving your life over to the Lord, no repentance of sin, just adding religion, trying to manipulate the situation for your good. So this is the two groups. Back to the story, verse 33. Jacob said, swear to me now. Like, tell me right now for sure that you're going to give me the birthright. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. The, the picture here is like he just galloped all the food down, and then he despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. He, he thought it was worthless. And so it is with so many people ingrained in the things of this world. They, they despise God's grace. They despise the, 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 the future to come. And I'm just going to, because of the sake of time, I'm just going to have you look up Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. There's a commentary on these passages, but here's, the, here's what it says. I'm just going to give you the big picture of it. So many people forfeit God's grace because they go after their sexual immorality, because they, they go after the, their bitterness in life, and they do not repent to that, but instead miss out on all that God has for them. And he says in verse 17, for you that afterwards when he desired, so this is talking about Esau, afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he had no place to repent, though he sought it with tears. And here's the warning to us this morning. Once you reject Christ, once you go on your way, you should not assume that you're going to be able to change that. For Esau, when he gave up the birthright, he couldn't get it back again. When Isaac, we're going to see in the chapters to come, when Isaac places his blessing on Jacob, there is no more hope for Esau. Even though he weeps and cries, like, please, Lord, like, please, like, give me a blessing. He's like, I've already given the blessing away. And so it is this morning. If you've never placed your hope and trust in Christ, I want to just, I just want to say to you this morning, stop running from God. Stop rebelling and turn your life over to him. He loves you. He cares for you, and he desires that you would walk in his ways. Don't assume you have a month from now. Don't assume you have a year from now, 10 years from now. If your heart is soft towards him now, repent now, because you do not know if your heart might be hardened later. And so to conclude this morning, if you're in Christ today, praise the Lord. Praise him for his creating grace. Praise him for his electing grace. Praise him for his saving grace. If you've never placed your hope and trust in him, then, then I, I would just say this this morning. Maybe you're like, well, I don't know. Am I chosen? You know, I don't know if I'm chosen. You'll know if you're chosen if you say, Lord, I repent. Then guess what? You're chosen. 
That's not up to you to figure out right now. You just hear the gospel, and he says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, and you believe and walk in his ways. And then we're like, yep, chosen, right? And as you and I, as believers, go out, we're not like looking on people's foreheads. Does it say chosen? Okay, does it say chosen? No, we just, we just proclaim the gospel, right? And when we, when we kind of jerk the wheel with our theologies one way or the other, that's when we get all messed up, okay? God loves you. I hope you hear that this morning. He has given you undeserved favor. And I pray that you would respond to that. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word today. You are good. You are faithful. Lord, we think of the words of Christ. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? God, I pray that there's anyone here who's never given their life to Christ. God, today, would you open their eyes? Help them to see how much you love them, how you've made a way that they may be reconciled to you, that, Lord, you've paid the price for their sins if they would just put their faith and trust in you. God, for those of us who are your children, God, I pray that we would live lives of humility, that we would be worshipers of you each and every day, that we would continually be in awe of the fact that, Lord, you have created us, that you have chosen us, and, Lord, that you have saved us. All glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.